Welcome to the Be Bold in Business podcast. My name's Samantha Hearn and I'm the host of this amazing channel. I wanted to bring you a place where you hear from myself and other amazing, inspirational business people on their journey to the success they've created. I wanted to bring you the offline journeys to the online successes that we see on social media. I want to create a place where you hear the struggles people have been through, the challenges, the lessons they've learned, the mistakes they've made, so that you know that ordinary people can create extraordinary things every single day, and that it's totally possible for you too. The Be Bold in Business podcast is a place where you are going to hear real, genuine, warts and all stories from some of the most exceptional people in business and how they succeeded anyway. If you are ready to show up in your business, if you are ready to be bold, if you are ready to learn from your mistakes, if you are ready to bounce back and become more resilient, this is the podcast for you. And me, Samantha Hearn, I cannot wait to welcome you, support you, empower and inspire you and share with you the stories that sometimes don't get shared online and give you this real refreshing approach on how building a business sometimes can be hard, sometimes involves failing, sometimes involves struggle, but you can still succeed anyway. So welcome to the Be Bold in Business podcast, and I cannot wait for you to take your invitation to be bold in your business too. So um, I am going to be honest with you, myself and Holly have already been speaking for 15 minutes, but you haven't been privy to that conversation. So I'm sorry about that. But um, welcome, Holly, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I would love for you to just introduce yourself to the, the listeners and just tell them a bit about you. Wow. Would you know this bit when people ask you to introduce yourself? <laughs> I feel like I've lived about 300 lives. Yeah. Um, so it's always a hard, it's always like, where do you begin? So I will begin when, when time began um, in sort of um, 1997, when I was 11 years old is when I started work. And I know if people are listening and um, they, I'm Northern, so you might imagine I like work down the pits or something or up a chimney. But no, I was a TV actress from 11 years old and I started... Um, um, on a kid's show called Biker Grove. So I, that, was, that was always the dream, right? When I was younger, I wanted to be an actress from really young. God knows where it came from. My dad was a welder. My mum worked in a bank. And here was little tiny me, like, I want to be a star. I wanted to meet Steven Spielberg and be, head off to Hollywood. And I knew everything that I wanted to do. I wanted to go to RADA. I wanted to, you know, I went to drama school. Like I, everything was very, like I had a plan really young. And I always think like, it's so interesting when people start their, I guess, entrepreneurial journey that young, because there's no filter when you're that age. Like you're mm. not worried. You ha I had, when I got a part on TV, I had no doubt that I was going to get a part. There was no doubt. Like, there was nothing in my mind that said to me yeah. that I couldn't get that part. And it's just like, as an adult, we're now trying to tap into that. But yeah, so I started on TV and I did that for most of my, up until I was, yeah, up until re like adulthood. And I did the rounds of all the TV, sh like UK TV shows, Casualty and The Bill and Doctors and Waterloo Road. And it, I was doing everything that I wanted to do. I was jo a job and actor. But what I did, early on realize is that as an actor you're a contract worker so when you finish a job even if it's a really incredible job you're unemployed again and I didn't want to be a skint actor I didn't want to work in coffee shops I didn't want to be miserable and acting is actually quite an expensive career because mm. 
certainly at the time because you had to, you know, I had to get trains to London, sometimes out or to Manchester or wherever else, or I had to, um, you know, get headshots, pay for photographers to come and do it. And it's actually quite, a, you know, it's not a cheap thing to, to do mm. if you want to do it well. And so I, you know, I was looking around seeing other actors and I thought, you know, I'm just going to find a way to do lots of different stuff because one, it makes me a more varied and interesting actor. Two, it allows me to take a bit of control back here because it is very much out of your control when you work on TV and stuff. You know, it certainly feels like that. You're always, you know, cap in hand going for an audition and asking for a job. And I also just, I, I was always thinking about, which sounds so weird to people, I guess, who aren't in the industry, but I was always thinking, this will be great for the autobiography when I'm older. Like this will be the autobiography. And I actually remember reading, um, I think it was, I think you can hear my children screaming in the background. If you can, I love it. they are fine. Like they're just, they don't really want to be in bed at this time. They want like to be fighting each other. They're fine though, don't worry. <laughs> I can tell when it changes. If the screams change, I'll get up and I'll deal with it. It's not so fine. I, I, know the, I know the type of cry it is. It's fine. Parents are like, yep, I got you. Just exactly, ignore yeah. it. Ignore <laughs> it until you hear that cry. Um, so yeah, so I, I always did... I, I had an entrepreneurial spirit from young and I think some people, I think you have it or you don't. Mm. I just think there is something in some people, even if you haven't, I'm not saying you have to have it from really young, but you know, I was the kid selling stuff on the street corner, always from being really young. If you ask anybody that knows me, that, oh yeah, she was selling something. She was always on a hustle. I just was mm. even really young. Getting my part in Biker Grove is because I wrote a letter to Biker Grove and asked for a part. Everything was always like that. But I just found that outside of acting, I would just do lots of different things. And I would set up little, you know, I'd be, whether it was um, dressing as a yogurt pot and doing all the promotional type stuff, or when I was pregnant, um, setting up I'm a pregnant model.com, just I'll be a model for pregnancy. Like every, it was, there was always a something. So I always did that. And then when I became a mom, it started to become a little less sustainable to be jetting off and doing filming days and going to London for auditions. And I was already trying to find ways to integrate different parts of my life. And my husband at the time, we both were both entrepreneurs. He ran his own online uh, business, that kitsite.com. So it was all football kits. And we had a life which was very um, malleable around the things that we loved and around the family. In 2014, my husband was diagnosed with brain cancer. And when that happened, as you can imagine, my, my mindset shifted completely. And I, complete, I just didn't have any desire to want to be away from him or acting so it was a very weird thing because as an actor you're very very one track minded you want to be an actor you want to that's your focus and you're constantly worried that someone will jump in your your role somebody will get there first and and for me when when we had his diagnosis and it was bad from the beginning I realized straight away that I had absolutely no inclination to act I just something switched and it was like I don't even know why I ever wanted to do that outside of acting alongside you know being the on entrepreneurial i'd always in my own world done self-development from really really young bizarrely young like at 12 13 i was meditating and and well going to a normal school and doing all the the naughty things that kids do when they're at that teenage age and then going home and meditating and, and doing things that people just didn't know about doing affirmations <laughs> and stuff very weird but i I always had that in the background. I think it's certainly the thing that stopped me losing my mind as an actor. 
And when Ross was diagnosed, when my husband was diagnosed, I was talking about this, you know, the, the ways to get through that and how do you deal with that? How do you accept certain things? How do you walk through it? And I was talking to people around me about that and offering up advice. And what I found that was very naturally, people just started to come to me. And because I have that entrepreneurial mindset, I just went, this is naturally the new progression for me. Like this is, I'm going to go into self-development. I'm going to start kind of pursuing that more. And so while he was going through cancer treatments and brain surgeries and everything else, I was building that business in the background and starting to develop that. And so when, when he died in 2017, so we had Ross for three and a half years with cancer, I once again kind of shifted. And I, after his death, there was a lot of press around Ross's death. So I found that so many people were messaging me and I couldn't deal with that influx of stuff. Mm. So, but I didn't want to like, I want to leave people like I can't like, and I'm sure you'll feel the same. Like I can't just leave people when they message me. I just, I never leave a man behind. Right. I just, I can't, if someone's messaging me and saying, I'm not, I can't cope. I need some tools. And I didn't at that time have anything in my locker to be able to deal with people but I just thought I'll put something together online. I'll put the, I'll put a course together and I'll put it out there. And so I put together what is now a, a, a brand of mine called the happy me project and had zero expectation of what that would do, what that would be. I just thought I put a low end 30 pound course together an evergreen course. I'll pop it out into the world if people want it. And when, when I speak to people, I can just direct them there and they can do that. And that can be me knowing there's something there for them to do, to get on with. I don't, it's not hands-on for me. And I just had no expectation. And I've seen, I mean, I haven't actually counted. And I've just been doing all my tech stuff and I haven't quite counted how many people have done that course yet. But it's, it's, into, it's, it's over a thousand now. And that's kind of, you know, that's a hands-off course. And I also did the workshops, the same name. And I've now developed a whole brand around the Happy Me Project. But it really, everything that I've done has, has come about in a very kind of feelings kind of way like this is just the way that I'm going to go now this is how it's going to go and so often when I'm never I'm sort of a, a very easy person to interview but also a person that has had so many different versions of each part of my life and there's so mm. much stuff in each of them that it's always kind of hard to sum up in anything succinct but essentially now in this point in my life I'm a self-development coach I'm a speaker I'm a TEDx speaker I'm the founder of the Happy Me Project and a mom of two screaming kids, which you can hear in the background. And that's where we're at. So there's no succinct way of explaining that ever. No, I I'm glad you didn't either, though, because I love um, myself and Holly met actually at a Hay House event and we didn't know each other, obviously, prior to the event. And then we just I don't even know how we started talking, to be honest. No. Um, and then we both spoke at the event like we got on the mic and I asked a question and then we just sort of started speaking and then following each other and the rest is history but and then since then you follow me I follow you and I think if I'm really honest the thing that um the thing that attracted me most to you was your your journey because um I think the thing that we forget is that the online space is very good at sharing where we are now or like the the positives or the the highlights you know and everyone's heard yeah. that and it's really good at just giving everybody this very um one-dimensional view yeah and when you spoke and you were sharing your story very briefly 
at the event, I was thinking, first of all, she's so young, you know, and obviously when I think about myself with my husband, I'm like, you know, they're so young to have gone through that. Secondly, um, she's got two kids who now, now I follow you, you're, the three of you do so much amazing, so creative, just the best epitome of the, the stuff that goes wrong in the chaos, but also just how you really yeah. do integrate expression and just everything fun for them, but also in a way that's supernatural. And I think that's the thing that struck me the most. How did you, how were you able to navigate through your own heartbreak at the same time as have to manage theirs and yeah. have to manage your business? Yeah. So I, it's, it's interesting because when, when we knew Ross was going to die, so the girls were four and hang on, am I getting this right? No, four and six. So Brooke was six, Tex was four. And we knew, so he'd, he'd had his second brain surgery. Then we went into this new stage and we had, we'd actually been on holiday in Turks and Caicos. And the reason I mention that is because for me, like looking at that holiday, like this was uh, like we were invited out there by a friend to stay on this some you know golf course this plush apartment for free like we went to these beautiful resorts it was just like lack of luxury kind of stuff and I am so aware that if you were to look on my Instagram my Facebook you would see an actress you would you know you google my name you'd find out all this seemingly glamorous stuff obviously behind the curtain it never is but you know you'd see all this stuff you'd see me with two lovely little kids and a husband and we we loved each other a lot and you know we see all this stuff and yet just a month later he was dead and I think for me what I had to do I remember the weeks leading up to his death just before it was really out in the public and out in the press and everything I had this weird space of feeling like I was kind of faking because I had to still show up online because I was obligated to for certain contractual stuff that I'd done for people. So I was showing up and yet inside I was just dying. Like I was, I was like, I can't, I can't fake this. I got, and I, and there was this weird space of going, is this an overshare? You know how, you know, this whole like judgment, I share this. Mm. And I've always shared, like I am that person. I grew up on television. My safe space was in front of a camera. That's just it. Like when I went to a normal school and I, you know, believe me, my school was not, you know, it was rough sometimes. Like I was the kid off the telly. Like you think I didn't have to <laughs> deal with some stuff. I did. Um, and when I went on camera and I was around creative people who expressed themselves, that was my safe space. And it still is. It still is. And so when I was, when, when we sort of in that initial stage, I had this, I remember being sat in the hospital outside um, in the car with my phone, my camera and stuff. And I just thought, I just need to tell people, like, I need to talk about this because it's what's really happening. I can't pretend and I can't be inauthentic. I just have to deal with this head on. And so I started to talk about it. And actually what ended up happening is that I, I vlogged from the hospice and, and I talked about it. And there was a few reasons I did that. One, absolutely, it was cathartic for me to talk about it and to talk to the, to the ethos to, yes, it seems like, you know, people go, well, you were talking to thousands of people, but you don't feel like that. Like for me, it's just mm. talking to a camera. So it was getting out of my head. Two, I knew that at some point in my life, I'd possibly want to understand what that time was. And I don't, mm. I haven't seen, I've seen one of those videos a couple of years back. I, I found one of them on my computer that hadn't gone out onto YouTube. And I don't remember ever anything that was said in that video, not a thing. I don't remember it at all. 
And I also thought that at some point my daughters would want to understand what had happened when they're older. And also there's part of me that when I was sat in the hospice and I was starting to, I was desperately clawing to find some positivity in what was going on. And I started to look online for like somebody that was leading the way, somebody that looked like me, somebody that, you know, was my age and had their husband had died and they talked about it and, and they weren't depressed. And I mean, I don't mean depressed like as in they didn't like, they were like some kind of toxic oh, I know positivity. What you mean. Yeah. But I mean, like I was, I was looking for someone that was going to give me some hope mm. and I really struggled to find it really struggled I, mm. I struggled to find any you know it was all the people on there but it just nothing resonated with me and I thought if I can't see it then I'll be it I'll be mm. it and I'll talk about it because somebody else needs this as well and actually mm. and I'm sure you're the same as, as me and this sound that like, we are we are helper people like we are people that mm. want to show up and actually my healing came and has come from and still does come from seeing that I can show people and unlock things for people that will help them get through this time and so in the hospice I worked and I was completing another life coaching course and I was updating like online stuff and for some people that must have seemed so bizarre but for me it was a focus of something productive and something positive in terms of the girls I believe in absolute reality and I believe in looking the tiger in the eye and I believe in teaching my children how to deal with stuff in a way that isn't, you know, isn't overly protecting them because yeah. I, I knew those girls were going to go through it. Like I could not stop what was happening. And I knew that if I bullshitted them, if I, if I pretended to them that this wasn't good, this wasn't what this was, or I didn't respect them enough as human beings to be real with them, then I wouldn't be a safe space because mm-hmm. I would have lied. And so we, you know, I've had to, I had to have conversations that broke my heart. Like I had to have conversations that were just, um, you know, most people, it's unbearable. And I, I remember when we first found out, um, when we knew Ross was, when we knew he was actively dying and, and there was, you know, all the adults around me were going, oh, we can't tell the kids yet. We can't tell the kids. And I was like, every, every like fiber of my being was going, they need to know. I felt like I was just going to kick a chair from under them. Like, they need to know it. It doesn't matter how young they are. And I was actually very lucky to end up speaking to Jeff Brazier, who was um, Jeff yeah. uh, Goody's ex-partner, who now is in the life, who is in the life coaching space. And we had met years previously. I, I don't know if he really remembered me. We met on a TV show called Rise on Channel 4 years back. But we were following each other on Twitter. And he, it, it was out in the press by then. And he messaged me and just said, let me give you a phone. Let me call you. So I phoned him and I sat outside the, ho- the hospital and I was like, just help, like, help me man- like, help me manage this with the kids. Like, what the hell do I do here? And he was like, I was like, I feel like I need to talk to them now. And he was like, you do need to talk to them. Like, you need to let them know. You need to let them know what's happening. You need to let them know that they need to say goodbye. They need to say they're sorry. They need to, whatever, you know, they need to say mm. what we need. They need to have their peace too. And with Ross having brain cancer, it was different to, you know, somebody having another type of cancer because you lose the person before you lose them. And that's harder because at the time we told the girls, it was absolutely the right time. If I'd waited a week later, he wouldn't have been able to, ha- he wouldn't have been aware of that conversation properly, but we were able to tell them and, and it, you know, it was, it's the worst day. It's, well, it's not the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life was telling them that he, he died. But when, when we were in the hospice, it, um, Brooke asked Brooke being older asked me some like questions that like you know I know that the other adults around me were just looking at me like please answer that question because I ain't gonna 
you know, and she would, she'd say like, so dad's, she said, dad's in the hospital, the hospice now, will he come out when we're really dying there? And I said, you'll die in there, darling. This is where, this is, this is it now. And the days just before he died, I was on the phone to Brooke, because bearing in mind, I was in the hospice every day for a month. So for two weeks that I stopped the girls coming in after two weeks because he was just sleeping and there was no need for them to see that anymore. Like it's just not a, a particularly, it's not how I wanted them to see him. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a time when you go as an adult, that's enough now. And it was enough. And my sister was with them every day, but for the girls, they had, their mum wasn't there and dad wasn't there all of a sudden. And Brooke rang me, I know she's six. And she said, mom, I really miss you. I really, really miss you. But I know that if you come home, dad's dead, isn't he? And I was like, yeah, like, just like, oh, just the worst. Like, and so when I came, when I came home to tell them, you know, I, I actually, I WhatsApped Jeff Brazier and we spoke and he just said to me, look, make this something positive. Like, whatever you do, just make something about this good. Get balloons if you need to, like anything, because children are resilient. And so I you know, I went home and they were initially like excited to see me, obviously. And then the realization that that why I was there, but what's amazing about children is their level of resilience and that we sat and we cried. And then I said, should we draw some pictures? Like, should we draw some pictures and do that? And so we sat down and the kids drew pictures and actually their pictures were really colorful, which is always a positive sign. And it was interesting that Brooke, she drew a picture and she drew all the family, but interestingly, you know from a psychology point of view she drew all of the family and then she drew ross just slightly to one side of everybody and she wouldn't consciously realize that she'd done that but it was almost her way of accepting i guess what mm. what had happened but ever since then you know i've said to the girls i promise you i will not lie i will talk to them and, and some of the conversations we've had you know they kids will ask you brutal stuff and if any of your listeners are going through this or likely to go through this I actually think it's it's helpful to know what is to come because then you can protect your own heart from that. You know, I remember Jeff Brazier saying to me, there'll be times when they say you hate, they hate you and they wish that you were dead because they're angry and they're sad. And actually knowing that that was a potential like beforehand when it happens, like when it happens, cause it's not, it still happens. When that happens, I can go, that's them feeling all the emotions and just mm-hmm. not knowing what to do with them. And it's, it kind of protects you, but they will, they will ask questions that grown-ups don't ask. Like they will ask what he looked like when he died. They will ask, how did you know he died? How did like, I mean, you, you suddenly have to, you know, try and explain death. And you're like, I don't know. Like there's, there's plenty of times when I go, I've got no idea. But with the girls, it's just been a case of, you know, in terms of managing grief, I have always said to the girls, we will deal with this in whatever way we deal with it. And I said this to myself as well. Like there is no right or wrong with grief. It is what it is. My grief might not look like how you think grief should look, whatever that looks like, right? You know, I know that people might have found it weird that I put makeup on when I was sat by my husband's bed in the hospice. That might have been weird for some people. But for me, knowing who I am, that's my level of, I can control that. I can control what I look like. And that's Mm. my way, that's my armor. That's me showing up. That's how I deal with stuff. If I didn't have my makeup on, hadn't done my hair, I wouldn't have felt ready to deal with it, you know? But to somebody else whose worldview is different to mine, that might have looked inappropriate. I don't know. But from me and the girls, I say there's no right or wrong. If one person's crying one day, we honor the fact that they're sad. Doesn't mean we have to be sad. Doesn't mean we have to be annoyed at them for being sad. And we just have to be kind to each other. 
And don't get me wrong, that doesn't always work. You know, like sometimes one, one child will cry and the other one will be annoyed because they've upset them then. And I constantly hear myself saying, it's not their business if you're upset. You're upset because you're upset because dad died. Like, I have real conversations. Mm. I, there's, no, there's no gray area in my house on any subject. No subject is to do. You know, I, my kids say things to me all the time. And sometimes I'm like, did I have to tell them that? Like, should I? I mean, I don't know what the rules are, to be honest, Sam. Like, people, my kids know what sex is. They know what stuff is. They know, like, like loads of stuff. They ask me the question. They'll get the answer. Mm. I, I don't know end is like when they asked me about how babies are made I didn't remember what the fake one was I don't know what <laughs> so yeah I love that I mean, like where do you, I just yeah I, yeah so I mean in terms of, of, of you know dealing with stuff I just in everything whether it's business whether it's life I deal with stuff head on and if I cry while I'm doing that then that's fine it's just all right mm. with me now and and the, you know vulnerability is strength is strength and it's it's not you know, obviously in this podcast, you've got people that are listening to this who are in business. And for me, I think that the stuff that sometimes we feel we've got to hide, the bits that, you know, the, 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 the horrible bits of life, the time when we don't get it right, the, the time when we have a failed launch or we mess something up, those times, actually, when you talk about that, it makes you human. It mm. makes you relatable. And I know following your stuff, the reason I love watching your stuff is because Firstly, you have an absolutely just gorgeous, positive energy that just like, and you have kind of hyper energy like me. So I like that. Mm. Like I like to have that kind of ADHD hyped, like ah, excited, like energy mm. about life. But also I know, you know, you've shared on, certainly I've seen on, on your Instagram, so if you shared your own journey, that to me is more interesting than a laptop lifestyle in, in Bali. Totally. Just, just not, just like, I mean, I'm not knocking that. That's fun. No, for sure. I'm bored of it. I'm so bored of that. I, I mean, I, do you think that the pandemic has leveled that out slightly? Because it's interesting, those that I, and this is so me just like spilling the tea on like laptop lifestyle, but I have seen people that, I have seen lots of pictures of them in some very swanky looking places. And I thought they were doing all kinds of things. But now I'm seeing them in their tiny little like place in the little flat in Hull and it doesn't marry up with what pictures I saw before lockdown. So it just shows you how much nonsense is out there in that world. Don't believe everything that is put out there, people. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I think, because there's so many things I could ask you about business, obviously, but that's why I really want to speak about the stuff that actually matters because everyone that listens has a story and everybody has a life. This is the other thing that I think we forget, you know, we look online yeah. and for example, like my business, it's my, it's my job, you know, I love it, but it's a job. It's not my life. I still have a family. I have friends. I go out and I get drunk. I like eat McDonald's in the day. Like I'm still a person. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes it's super refreshing to know that the people that, you know, like the happy me project has like huge trauma like it's yeah. not just this like happy everything's amazing and no. I think that that's sometimes that's a struggle for people you know there's a disconnect with having to be like what you've just shared which is which is, I stand by this you know being bold isn't about being strong and smiling all the time it's about saying this is so hard like yeah. I literally don't know how to manage this situation do you yeah. ever I've got two questions that are in my head so I'll ask them together and then you can like work mm. the first question I had is 
and this is not in any way the same situation but whenever I'm interviewed on podcasts and I sort of share my journey um my dad dying I lived with him it changed the course of my life you know I did live with my mum I lived with my dad so then when he died it changed the whole dynamic so I feel like it has paved the way a bit to how I've got to this point so my first question is do you almost feel like Ross's whole journey from diagnosis to treatment to passing away has one like changed the whole course of your life and for Brooke and Tex and then my second question is do you feel like it's made your you and your attitude to business has it changed that yeah so interestingly like I I mean yeah I I say all the time that the success that I've had since Ross died, not to say that I didn't have successes before, because I did, maybe in a different world, but I, the successes that I've had have not been in spite of Ross's death, they've been because of it. And that's mm. a weird, that's a weird pill to swallow, isn't it? Because I didn't yeah. want Ross to die. But yet, what has happened since has been something really positive to come out of it. Mm. And I can't deny that half of the things that I've done since then, like, have been because of that story, because of that, the way I've dealt with that. Mm. And with the girls, the same, like it will shape them. It will shape who they are. And I remember listening, when my, um, when I was in the hospice, I was speaking to a friend of mine whose mom died when her mom had had cancer for a long time. Well, how old were you when your dad died? Sam? I 14. I thought you were that age. I think I remember mm. you saying that to me. And so she was the same sort of age. I think she was about 15 when her mum died. Her mum had had cancer since she was really young and she'd been told she was at the end about four times. Oh, so wow. it'd be really like up and down journey. And she lived with her mum. Now this girl that I'm talking about, she's a psychologist. She's like, she's incredible. And at the time we spoke when I was in the hospice and there's only a few people actually, like I'm not a very easy person to counsel in any way, like because I just feel I have to walk the path myself and I don't mean that in a solitary like I'll do everything on my own but I just I just know that no one's going to be able to help me through it Mm. I just have to you can be there and be my friend but you're not going to walk through the emotional stuff I've got to deal with that myself you know I take personal responsibility for that but I she's one of the only people that actually can sometimes just check me a little bit so I was listening to her and she just said to me look who I am is because of the stuff because obviously I was worried about the girls obviously I still worry like is this going to affect them in some way but actually what I've learned and again for people that are in that situation with children who've lost a partner or maybe you're a person who is potentially going to die of something you know there's people that have had long-term cancers that there is a chance that they won't be there forever and I look at the girls and I think they are empathetic. They are sassy as hell. They are so strong. You know, when we went into this pandemic, we had this, you know, again, we have real conversations. And I said to the girls, you know what, girls, like we are so, we are so, you know, we can deal with this. Like it's a breeze, right? We'll deal with this. And I said, you, you must feel sorry for a lot of your friends because a lot of your friends at school have never dealt with anything hard. We've dealt with worse than a pandemic personally. You know, we've, you've dealt with your dad dying. And that's worse than a pandemic to a, you know, to a nine and a seven year old. Yeah. Like, what's the pandemic mean? It's not even tangible to them, is it? It's just, I can't see my friends. I'm not at school. But like you said, but I get to see mom, we're playing games, we're doing stuff around the house. I mean, that's not even like, doesn't even sound that bad. So I said to them, I mean, you've dealt with so much, like it, it really does give them a level of strength. And 
I guess, you know, I can never, you know, and I look at someone like you as well, you know, you've been through that. You are, you are my girls a little bit older, but you've done that. And who you is as a wonderful person because of the pain. Like mm. if you, if you take your pain and you understand, like I always say to people in my workshops and stuff, like there is no point trying to fight against something. Like it's going to go away. Like, like if you imagine your fist is like, the shape of your fist like imagine that's your trauma your pain your sadness whatever bad things happened in your world the thing that shifted something for you your job isn't to try and break that down and, and try and get rid of it and fight against it happening to like resist the fact it's been there or it's there your job is to build your life around it so full and so amazing that that thing just doesn't feel quite as painful or quite as big. That's mm. all we can do. And, you know, I can't change what's happened for the girls. I can't do anything about that. I can just be honest. And sometimes there's no answers. You know, sometimes they'll say things to me and I'll go, I know, like I, I'm sad about that. We've just had Father's Day in the UK and that's obviously it actually comes not long after it, um, my husband's birthday so we have like a bit of a double whammy but father's day this year was actually it seemed a bit harder for them and I guess it's because they were missing people as well and it's sort of you know I think being in lockdown has made mm. all of us revisit grief I don't know if you felt this as well because I feel like I revisited a lot of grief during lockdown because I guess not being around other humans and having zero distraction and obviously you know the magnitude and the scale of the death around the world it just like you know thinking about those families dealing with that has really you know it hits home when you've been through that yourself and you you feel it so much for them but with the girls you know I've just said to them the whole time you know sometimes I don't have the answers sometimes they say things to me and I'm like I don't know I'm just I'm here I'm like I'm here and, and I'll cuddle you and we'll be together and we'll work let's just look for the next good thing we say that a lot in this house let's just look for the next good thing let's find something good let's find something positive and it's okay and i say to the girls all the time you know it's okay to have days when you feel rubbish it's okay mm. to have days when you want to sit in your pants and eat chocolate and watch netflix and that's oh okay. yeah we love those days and it's it's fine like and you know not putting pressure on ourselves to to be any to 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 fight against that like we are we put so much pressure and you're right you know the online space is just so much stuff on there all the time that it's you know a lot of people hide behind that and I guess when you're people like us where you've been through something you can see you see past that so when I see those glossy posts as much as you know it's nice to have those it's it's you know it's fun and stuff I'm not saying that everything has to be dour and real and raw mm. but like when I see a lot of those often I can I can guess that in a few months time, we're going to have burnout posts about how they're trying to work on their health because I can see them burning out because they're not being honest. And it, it's harder for you, you know, um, managing your, your clients and your audience if you're not real. Like I say, the good thing about how I do my business is that I never pretend to be perfect. So the good thing is when I mess up, when I say the wrong thing, when my Zoom doesn't work or something goes wrong, I can just go, meh. I just, you know, I remember I said yeah. I was like a normal human. <laughs> like, That's I don't know what's going right. I feel like it's, I feel like the, the challenges have almost made you then create a business where you embrace the mistakes rather than try and avoid yeah. them. Yeah. If you were, I mean, a lot of the women listening will be mums um, mm. because I do have, obviously, inevitably. Um, yeah. But the majority of them are in business and, you know, thinking about growing or scaling or all they're successful and they need a mindset shift. But also I think as women, we're very good at being 
everything to everyone yeah. um and you know saving the day and and you know really trying to just do what we can to pack as much onto our own shoulders if you were to because i know a lot of, like me i'm so sucked into the conversation to be honest i love it but and and you just you can't help as a woman but think oh if that was me you know like wow i, I don't know if i could have done it that way or thought that way or i don't know if i'd be able to speak this way you know we, we're very good at being able to see how we would be in situations and yeah. i think even outside of this outside of ross and and that that life-changing journey when you think about business we're also very good at doing that like oh yeah. if only i could do what that person or they're doing it better you know we're very good at, yeah. at seeing all of our own flaws how would you how do you manage although you embrace the mistakes if you were to speak to someone that's got this talk in their mind and it's always about the things that they could do to improve and how everyone else has got it all together and it's just better than where they're at yeah what would you be telling them to do mindset wise self-development wise yeah so i think you're absolutely right like we we are constantly in this state of trying to balance everything and be everything to everyone. And I can't completely say that I am, you know, immune to that because sometimes and certainly no, like I'm a single mom, like there is no tag out. There is no time. It, everything has to be very, very organized, but I have learned to find moments that are just for me and to allow those what I really like try to think to myself is the work that I'm going to do when I'm in a headspace of like, and you feel it. Like I thought I, we said before we got onto this, um, we were actually recording it. I said last week, I felt quite overwhelmed. It felt like it's been quite relentless. It, the bigger picture, you know, it's every day. I'm like constantly organizing and this and this and this. Mm. I have to, what I've done over the last few days is I've just let myself off the hook a little bit because I find that what we can often do is we set timetables in our heads that are just absolutely man-made and nobody else in the world has ever put that pressure on us. We're just putting this pressure on ourselves. So first of all, I'm such a big, big advocate of getting things on paper. Like I'm a pen and paper person before I'm, I'm Me too. like you, you know, it's, there's something physical about it. As an actress, if I was to learn a script, I would write it down. There's a reason, mm -hmm. there's a connection, there's physical thing, right? So get it out on paper. Like I brain dump a lot. So for those that don't know what I mean by that, I just mean get a pen and paper and whatever that stuff is roaming around in your head because if just get it on the paper because if you don't get it on the paper, it's going to loop back round and you're going to think about it again. When it's on the paper, you can keep an eye on it, right? And you know mm. what you're going to do with it. If you want to then schedule that, you want to put it in a place in the week, I create like a, I call it a skeleton plan because the reality is especially when you've got children, that plan can go out the window like it can it just has to sometimes there's going to be times when i'm like i've got to record this i've got to do this and the kids are on one and they are having none of it and you know what there is sometimes just no point fighting with that sometimes you gotta go okay this is not happening today mm. and you know what nine times out of ten that's probably all right it might not fit in with the, the schedule that we've created and the pressure we're putting on ourselves to get it done by this date but actually I can find myself, you know, kind of hurtling to the next thing I've got to do when I have to just keep bringing myself back into the moment and recognizing this is my life. Whatever we want in our lives, like all the dreams and goals and stuff that we put down at the beginning of the year and whatever, and we create mm. our three month plan. Brilliant, right? It's great that we do that. And it, it definitely works for us to do that. But equally, 
your life is now like in this moment wherever you're at in your room in your you know wherever you're at right now this is your life so if we constantly look to the next thing and we we don't allow ourselves moments of having a break then we just miss a chunk of our life we're just not in it and so i have to constantly remind myself sometimes to slow down to speed up because when i'm in that headspace of like manic like busyness and I can feel myself, you can feel the pace, your energy's different. When I'm in that space, I know that my work is not as good. When I take a step back, it's very weird. It's like you have those moments where you just chill, all your best ideas come up, all of the, like, the things that you, the order of it comes up. It just, you give yourself and your brain space. We have to, and I say this to every client that I work with because I see it constantly. Everyone that's in my Facebook group or my online, I'm constantly saying, we have to be kinder to ourselves. We have to, it is, it's a constant battle because we, we think that by punishing ourselves, somehow it will make us work harder. It won't. Yeah. You punishing yourself in your head is not going to make you be better at the thing. It's just going to make it hard while you're doing it. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just have to go, you know, I'm going to take my foot off the pedal a little bit. I'm going to rest and I'm going to come back. Like I always work on that. Cause I'm not, I do not um, advocate the hustle mentality. Like as in, hustle 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 i'll sleep when i'm dead get up at five o'clock every morning like, behave yourself and if you're a parent you're just like yawning and rolling your eyes at those people like that's fine when you're like you know 19 and you've got no responsibilities and you live with mom and dad so that's like fine then but when you're a grown-ass woman like mm. no you've got stuff that comes first and also do you know what like you just said you want to go and eat mcdonald's with your pals Mm. And you don't want to do any, like some days you don't want to run your business. And I know there's always, there'll be people that will completely contradict me and go, you should always be running your business. No, no, because then it becomes a chore. And that's not mm. why we do this, is it? Mm. Like, that's not why we do this stuff. We do this stuff because we want to create a lifestyle that works around us. And if that, if your business is running you in that way, then it's not working. Mm. So, you know, for me, I, I definitely schedule a lot, but I also class it as a skeleton plan. So I know that, okay, this is the stuff, the stuff I want to do, but it might just have to shift to the next yeah. day. If it just might have to, and, and it's okay. And I've, I, as I've got older, I've become more comfortable with that because I've realized like, what am I racing at? Like, I know, I know we talk about, I know this kind of contradicts a lot of the messaging that we have, you know, there's speed and, um, in business money like speed and all that but you True, need to you not can't, you can't sustain you, that you can't it has to be what I always say to my clients is pause and propel you have to have moments of speed where you speed up and yeah, you hustle and you get, absolutely. you get your grind on and then you have to pause you have yeah. to stop you have to breathe you have to turn off social media and you have to hide away for a little bit you know but I, I think the messaging online doesn't always work for that and certainly as a parent you don't know you don't often see sort of parents showing that the people that i follow a lot of the business coaches that i follow have children as well purely because i like to see how they manage that yeah absolutely i want to i want to know like whether you know whatever it is you kind of want to follow somebody that has those challenges you know mm. not that i'm calling it not that I'm slagging off my kids and calling them challenges, but they are challenges. They're yeah. lovely challenges, but they are, you know, so just, but yeah. But it's good to do that for sure. I think that's a good thing. You have to be able to almost see yourself in someone else mm. and just keep check on, you know, like what, what are they doing and exactly what your clients will be doing to you. They'll be following you yeah. and what you're doing with your girls. And it's about, I think it's all about collaboration. That's the big thing that I think yeah. is important with social media, you know, use it to support you in your journey and not, 
criticize yourself for it um yeah. absolutely oh god I, honestly i i could have a conversation for hours so i just i find it fascinating one because i think well there's a few reasons but the the real crux of it is it is hard i think in my experience to always find someone that has been through such a hard the worst nothing will ever compare to that nothing will ever compare to that experience with your girls and with ross that's just what could ever be on that same energy of turmoil but to find someone that uses that to create success growth abundance reality positivity happiness you know that 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 energy is quite hard to come by because for some, and I mean, you probably have been in that place and I know I definitely have. And so many other people I know will be listening to this where it is a cloud and you think where, where the wood, where's the wood from the trees. I literally do not know how this will get better, but for some people they can get engulfed in that and to have a conversation with someone that's, is just so refreshing to, to have another way of seeing the world. And I think that's the important thing. Um, sure. My, my husband was like this and I think that's sometimes hard. Like he, my husband was autistic, so he was very black and white in his thinking. So it was like, I'm dead or I'm alive. End of story. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we, we've always, we were as a couple, very real with each other. Like there was, we were harsh with each other in the nicest way, but really honest. Like we used to say those that, those that play together, stay together. Those that like, don't take life that seriously, but kind of do like take what they do seriously, mm. but not themselves. And so his his mindset was always like i'm just i'm here i'm not like why not me like why not me like why mm. you know why somebody else like he never we never as a couple we never felt sorry for ourselves and we never talked we didn't obsess over cancer like you know we didn't talk about he used to say they tell me i've got cancer i can't feel it like they're just telling me i've got cancer they could be making it up for all i know like his mindset was so like naturally just real and so mm. actually when people i think sometimes people feel when they meet me and they know my story but don't necessarily know me very well you know certainly haven't seen me online and stuff but just meet me and they're like oh your husband's died they expect a different version and when I'm like you know like they just don't say that and like me and the girls have the darkest humor like we went to Lapland a few years back and obviously it was it was only so it was only a year after I think was it a year after he died two years after he died so it was yeah and um we we were there and we were on the coach going to some like really fun like Christmas spirited like party with elves on the bus and everything. And I was sat next to Brooke and we started having a conversation about Disney and how every Disney film has a dead parent in it. Like it just does. So we always make a joke when we watch a film now. We're always like, whose parents dead? Is it the mom? Is it the dad? Is it both? Double whammy. Like we have we make jokes like that. And this mm. poor elf came over on the bus and was like, what are you talking about, girls? Like really all at being. No. I was like, do you want, I was like, do you want to tell him or am I that we're talking about dead parents in Disney films? It's hardly like fun. But actually like that kind of real humor is like, it, that's how we deal with it. You know, it's certainly a very British way of dealing with things. Yeah, but it is. Deal with it head on. And I think, as you say, that sort of mindset of like, I, I always say actually that I they say you get, um, I guess in, in business, in life, you find, um, your kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you find success in times of inspirational desperation. I work, I work when my back's against the ropes, Mm. that's when I get better. It's so weird. And I don't know, I'm not sure the reason for that always, but I think it is that I am a, 
I'm an eternal optimist in that I always think there'll be something better because truthfully, nothing stays the same. Not good, not bad. Nothing no. stays the same forever. Yeah, you shared that recently. You, can, you know, if you can get that in your head, like then nothing can stop you. You just know that you've got to ride this rubbish bit and then get to the next thing that might be all right. And there won't be a time in your life that things won't shift, you know, whether it's relationship breakups, divorce, mm. all of the stuff we go through, like none mm. of us are immune. And, and it's certainly not, you know, when you people hear my story, I'm like, it's not top trumps on sadness. Like pain is pain, whether you feel pain yeah. because yeah. you've lost your job or you feel pain because your dad died, like pain is pain. You feel it in, in, in all of you and everybody's, so everyone's levels are different. So I, you know, that I just, I want to have a nice life. I want to, and I do have a nice life. And I oh, I love nice that. Life. That's it. <laughs> a... It's just oh, simple, isn't it? That's yeah. It. Do you know what? I could talk to you for hours, um, but I, I want to kind of have this, even if this is like the starting point, and then we do another episode that's more about like the business and the self-development, because I think this is actually, I don't want to take away and dilute what we've spoke about today with adding in more just to add it in, you know, because I just feel like this is so much to unpack. And exactly like you said, I just feel like there's so much to gain from these conversations. Um, Absolutely. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you've shared you, yourself, and your experiences with everyone listening. And I'm honestly, I'm so excited to speak again about other stuff. We'll talk about it all. We'll put the world to rights. Why not? It's nice to connect with people that have a similar mindset and totally. um, just want to want to share a little, a little dollop of real in the online space yeah. as well. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure I put all your handles in there so everyone can stalk your stories as well as much as me. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Running a business can be hard and running a business alone as a solopreneur is even harder. If you are fed up of figuring it out on your own, making mistakes and struggling alone, trying to learn as you go, taking one step forward and feel like you take two steps backwards, there is always more that we can learn together. The BMA is the place for you. I'm extending a warm invite for you to join the place for female entrepreneurs to support and empower one another, to seek high level coaching and mentorship from me, and to have access to invaluable resources, templates, and worksheets for you to succeed, scale your businesses, and grow together. As an affordable, low investment every month, the BMA couldn't be more perfect for you. The Bold Moves Academy is focused at coaching female entrepreneurs in what they need most to accelerate their business and make the progress they deserve. Building a successful business doesn't have to be lonely and it certainly doesn't have to be complicated. I can't wait to see you inside the BMA today.